today when we're talking once again about daily peace and how you and I open up the scripture and find a road for peace in our souls, uh, peace that the Bible says passes understanding, so it doesn't always make sense humanly why we would have peace in a world that's full of turmoil, maybe even in a life personally that's full of turmoil. And as we've studied this, we've identified some choices that we'll have to make if we're going to live at peace, inside and then beyond. And I thought I would review the choices so far. So those of you who've been here every week the last six weeks, this is all not news to you, but some of you who might need a little bit of catch up, uh, here's where we've come so far in this series. So out of seven, this is, weird, this is week number six. The first uh, choice to peace that we have to make is choosing to invest our hope in God, recognizing that whatever our, the story of our lives is going to be, and however we however we identify who we are and what we are, that has to be referenced to God or we really won't experience peace in this life. The second is building from that, I choose to trust God's narrative about my future. So when we open up the Bible, we see all sorts of prophecy about the future. Not all of it is just about kind of world events. A lot of it's about you and I and our future. And so when we trust that, it gives us peace to deal with the challenges of this moment because we know there's more coming. And then we talked about choosing a diet of thoughts that will lead toward peace. We can't focus on negative things and expect to have a positive heart attitude, right? So we have to choose where our focus is. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Dell walked us through the principle of choosing to rest on purpose so that we can actually run with peace in our lives. And if we don't take breaks, if we don't take breathers, if there's not moments where you draw down... Uh, it's hard to experience the peace that God has for you. That's why I was really grateful for even Trevor this morning, just saying, hey, we're going to take worship time a little slower, have that pause in the middle where we could pray and think. And uh, sometimes we need to build those moments into our life because if we don't, it's possible that the hurry and busyness and all the priorities and all the goals we have will just keep running fast and not pause, right? And that's important to do. Last week, uh, we talked about choosing to interview our emotions instead of reacting to them, and Dell walked us through the story of Cain and Abel and how Cain, uh, the first brother, I suppose, our, our elder brother as a human race, uh, he let his emotions run him, and it ultimately took him to an extremely dark place uh, all the way to murder. And so we learn from his story that we, we have to recognize our emotions signal something to us, and we need to take action based on that signal and not let things simmer. So you say, well, what else is necessary? If I'm going to walk a road that's peaceful, especially in a world where people are fighting and blaming and guilty and hurting one another, and there's all sorts of bitterness everywhere, how, how will we navigate that? Uh, here's our sixth choice. And then I'm going to show you a few verses on the screen, and then we'll turn to one scripture in particular in the Bible, and I'd encourage you to be ready to turn to that one when we get there, just so you can see it in God's Word for yourself, uh, what God's path for us is here. But here's the choice we'll have to make. I choose to believe that even my troubles can be made valuable by God. So the, the thing that comes up against whatever great resolutions you have in your heart to be peaceful or have the right perspective the problem is external troubles are going to hit you like a freight train eventually, and sometimes they keep hitting you. And as that happens, you have to figure out, well, how can I have peace when there's literally incoming fire into my life? Like there's trouble coming in. 
how do I interpret that? Sometimes trouble feels like such a setback that you, you just think, man, just when I started to make some progress, uh, you know, maybe it's financial. You think, I finally started to save a little bit and I'm, a little, I'm just climbing out of debt and then you get hit with a big expense and it sets you back. Um, or maybe you finally feel like you're making some momentum in your career and then something at the company changes or you feel like finally your family's starting to feel right, your marriage is going strong and then there's a big setback and those setbacks almost seem like it's taking value away from you, right? Which really makes it hurt even more because it's not just the pain of the experience, it's also the fact that whatever you had, you know, kind of whatever your narrative of growth was or forward momentum, it seems like that stops, sometimes goes backwards and so there's immense hope in seeing trouble as a part of how God shapes us because when we see that, we can face trouble and we can say, all right, this, God, can, God can make these troubles valuable. Now let me show you how that works in the scripture. We'll start in James chapter 1. Uh, here's what it says about trouble. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, how many of you would say that that's your first instinct when troubles come your way to go, awesome, an opportunity for joy? Is that where you start your mental process? Uh, not mine either. Like, I want to be there. I want to follow what the scripture says, but that's not a natural response to trouble, right? When trouble comes, you feel bad. And so here James is saying, when troubles come, as a Christian, you get to face troubles with a different factor kind of backing you. And it can turn a trouble that might feel futile or might feel pointless or it might feel like it's actually taking something from you. It can turn it into positive value. Here's how. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So you almost imagine your Christian life, and the Bible uses this metaphor multiple times, like you're in a race and you're running, and the more endurance you have, the further you can go, the more you can accomplish, the less injury you sustain when you do have stress, the, the stronger your endurance is, the, the more you can potentially do in the lifetime God gives you. And, and so if there's something that will build endurance into your life, that is something you could say, although the process isn't fun, Lord, I'll accept the coaching. I, I want to grow in endurance so that I can maximize my life for you. Think about how um, in, in our lives, we wouldn't usually sign up for things that grow our endurance, but after the fact, we're sometimes glad they happen, right? So would you, if, if you thought about, like, you want to end your life being a strong, faithful believer, you want to accomplish important things, are you going to become that strong, mature person by just smooth sailing through life? Like nothing ever goes wrong, everybody's nice to you, you never have a problem. Is that the road to strength as a person? Well, no, you'd say, wow, if things are too easy, I'll probably end up pretty soft and pretty weak. The, the way to get strong is to face adversity, right? So as those adversities come, even though individually you wouldn't pick them out and go, hey, I'll, I'll take that problem. No, you wouldn't sign up for the trouble, but the trouble is actually part of what grows you as a person. Okay, so think of it this way. Your capacity to handle stress and trouble as a Christian is called endurance, and so the more that you grow in endurance, the more stress and trouble can come at you and, and you're able to still move forward for Christ. 
This is why sometimes when you'll meet different people, they can react to the same factors in different ways, right? So you might have somebody that you know that, wow, they just have a terribly stressful and troubled life, but somehow they're peaceful, somehow they're joyful, somehow it doesn't seem like that throws them off track in their Christian journey. You might have someone else who just when the smallest thing gets out of order for them, when, the, when they just don't get their way in something that seems insignificant, they're blowing up, they're exploding, their whole life's falling apart. Well, it's because they have a low capacity for endurance. They have a low capacity to handle trouble. And here what we discover is that as we go through tough times, trials, temptations, persecutions, setbacks, those things all help build us up to make us more endurant, right? So if you think about it, if you're one of the fitness gurus or you like to fancy yourself as that, how would you build endurance? If you're working out, what's the right path to build endurance? It's a little bit different than building just pure strength, right? What's the key to endurance? Let's say you're weight training. What do you have to do? And I know some of you are into this. What do you have to do to grow endurance if you're weight training? Yeah, you've got, you got, you got to lift heavy things, right? And you don't just lift heavy things once, right? You have to do reps. You've got to keep, keep pushing them out. In fact, you might even say that there's a difference between like strength training might be you're trying to max out and figure out how far you can push it. Uh, endurance training might mean not maxing out, but maxing out on the number of times you can do a smaller amount of weight. And you're just, because what you're trying to do is grow your ability to keep going, to keep breathing. It'd be the same thing for a runner who, you know, you run one mile, and if that's all you ever run, you don't grow capacity to go further than that. But if the next day you run 1.1 mile, and the next day you run 1.2 mile, eventually your capacity, your heart, your lungs, your muscles, like all that's going to grow ability to keep going, that's your level of endurance. So the same thing is true emotionally for us, right? If you, if you went to the gym and you said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow some endurance here, and you go over to a weight machine and you, uh, you pick the highest level of weight that you can lift on that machine and you lay down on that thing and you just give everything you've got to getting one rep and then it crashes down and almost kills you. And you stand up and you say, great, check, check that box. Now I've done, I've done weight training. Let me ask you, have you built any endurance by doing that? Probably not, right? You probably have a chiropractor bill coming at you. Um, you might even have some long-term injury in your muscles, but you probably haven't built endurance because that's not how you train. Endurance doesn't come from just one really tough day and then the rest of life's easy. Endurance comes from learning how to keep running through tough times. And so when troubles come our way, we're not necessarily looking at the individual trouble and saying, you know, awesome, I get to do that. What we're doing is we're saying, you know what, Lord, as troubles keep coming, which I know they will, in whatever category they come, relationship trouble, financial trouble, health trouble, church trouble, I mean, it's, trouble's going to happen in all corners, right? As all those things are happening, you say, Lord, thank you for continuing to build my level of endurance because this is what it's going to take for me to become a mature Christian believer, to be as strong as I can be so that I can accomplish what I'm here to accomplish, Okay, Romans also talks about this. Romans chapter 5 says we can rejoice, here it is again, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. 
For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And so as we, as we sort of walk into this endurance training of life and we face trouble, knowing that God loves us changes the story of how we accept the trouble into our life, doesn't it? I mean, if the trouble is just random and if the trouble's just coming and there is no one out there who really cares about you, then you would see trouble as a setback. Trouble could ruin you. You say, wow, there's no sense going on if, it's, if things are going to go wrong. But when you recognize that you're loved by God and you recognize that even the troubles that you face, he can turn those into value in your life and your future, it, it changes how you face a difficulty. It doesn't necessarily make the difficulty easy to face, but it changes how you face it, changes the attitude you bring to it, uh, to where you might even say, I'm not grateful for the circumstance, but I am grateful that I have an opportunity to grow in endurance through this. Lord, would you teach me how to endure so that my light, my light for Christ can shine even brighter in this tough circumstance I'm in? Um, Here's the principle. Troubles can be a reason for joy when we trust God's love. I really think this is a, an important key. It's easy to say, it's hard to do. It's hard to do it when it's happening to you, when you're actually the one under the gun, right? But you ask yourself, will I trust God's love more than I trust in my own understanding? Because certainly, I mean, if we're trying to live a life of daily peace, there's gonna be things that happen to you that you don't understand, and that could rob your peace pretty quickly. If you say either this isn't fair, or God, why did you let this happen to me? Or well, it didn't happen to that guy, why is it happening to me? Or I didn't deserve this. Um, you might just think, why is the world this way? There's all sorts of things that can derail your perspective and your peace. But when you overlay on top of all of those concerns, wait, God loves me. He loves me with an everlasting love that I can't even begin to comprehend. Am I willing to trust God's love for me more than I trust my understanding or my lack of understanding in this situation? So some people, you know, they'll face a trial in life and they'll put their fist up to heaven. They'll say, God, why are you doing this to me? And rather than saying, God, I know you love me. So if when I don't understand, like when my ability to explain a circumstance comes up against a wall... Instead of getting angry, Lord, I'm just going to look up to you and say, okay, this is when I need faith. This is when I'm going to trust you and trust your love instead of believing in my own pathway. So I was thinking about this, this concept, this message, and sadly, this is one of the sermons that's not actually that difficult for me to come up with illustrations from my own life of having experienced trouble. Probably if you were the preacher this morning, it wouldn't be that hard for you either, right? Because you could make a pretty quick list of the things that have happened to you that have been unjust or difficult or painful or sad. And as you make that list, you say, wow, yeah, those things, those are, those are part of what shaped me. Those are part of what made me who I am now. But I wouldn't go back and wish those things on my previous self or on other people. I, I wish I didn't have to go through trial, but I, I did. And then here's the result. So I was thinking about the time that Melissa and I were first um, involved in foster care. We were, I suppose, a few years into it, and um, we had a baby that w- in the system called a broken baby. And uh, this was new in our county. There, wasn't, there, there weren't a lot of these babies. This was pe- people who had been severely abused as infants. 
And, uh, and so this baby, the birth parent situation was complicated, and there was a little bit of a security concern for knowing where baby was. And so we didn't use his real name. We just said baby. Uh, and initially, we didn't know how long he'd be with us. So, um, so he just kind of became known to us as baby. That was like his name. So as baby started to grow up in our household, this came in as an infant with multiple broken bones, a lot of abuses and you know, tragic things that happened to him. He started to find some healing. He started to, he kind of became one of the little brotherhood at our house. And um, along the way, as baby was growing up, like he was, I mean, he thought we were his parents, right? I mean, you can't blame him. I mean, that's, we were the only people he really knew. And he got to be two years old and then beyond two years old. And that was his, I mean, he was just a two-year-old kid in our household. I was daddy, Melissa was mommy. And um, because of what had happened to him, the level of abuse and injustice, the court proceedings and all that were going really slow, but it was really obvious that he wasn't going to go back to his bio family. At least that's what we thought. So, so even though you're not supposed to do this in your mind when you're a foster parent, you, you, know, you, you start to give your heart to the child that you think is going to stay, and you don't you know, you, but you always have this sort of lingering threat hanging out there that the courts could decide something different or the, you know, some other relative could show up that no one knew about or you know, something could happen that could mix up the plan. So we were two years plus into the, the plan. And the surprise was that the, uh, one of the bio parents was found guilty of the abuse and the other one was found not guilty, which threw the whole thing into disarray. And I remember just a heartbreaking meeting we had to have with our social workers at that time where they just said, um, like, we could delay this, we can try, we can appeal, but like, they were reading the story and just saying, this child's going to end up back with that other parent. There's, there's not a way we can fight that. And that was you know, just on many levels, very devastating for Melissa and I. Not just that we would lose baby, um, but also feeling like justice wasn't done. And if you knew the story, you'd probably kind of agree with that, you know, but sometimes there's nothing you can do. And uh, I even remember when I went to one of the court proceedings, the the judge saw that I was there kind of in the back and just, you know, everybody who was in the room had to announce who they were. I just said, I'm Dan Jarvis, I'm the foster parent, and he stopped the proceeding and he just said, um, I often have to rule in favor of the law, and I, I, know, I know what you're here for, and I know what your heart is, but, um, but just so you know, I have to follow the law. I can't, I can't do what all of us would want to do. It was, it was a super sad day. And um, so as baby, you know, was awarded custody back to BioFamily, uh, and we, we watched him leave our home, um, having no idea, like he had no idea, it was, he was two, so there's no way to explain to him what was about to happen. Um, it, was, it was definitely one of the hardest days of our lives, and hardest seasons. And I look back at that, and think about how difficult that moment was. It almost took us out of that ministry entirely. Like, we really thought long and hard about not doing foster care anymore, calling it even, you know, just being done. And um, while that was happening, um, actually the day he left our home, 
Hudson was born. And some of you know Hudson. He's part of the church here. And, um, and so then he had a whole bunch of complexities that happened in his young life that led to him being in our household. And um, one of the things that they, when they called and they asked us if he wanted, if we would, you know, have a new baby come into us, we were the only active foster parent household that had experience with the broken baby scenario. And so here came another one. And so they called. This was only a few weeks later, and they, they just said, like, we know you're still, like, they were heartbroken for us, right? They were, everybody was kind of on the same team, the same team here. Um, they, they said, we just hate to ask you this, but, like, would you take another one? Um, we understand if you'll say no. And that was a hard decision, because we were really ready to be done. We were really ready to give up. Um, but, you know, by God's grace, we said yes, and that was years ago. Hudson became a part of our family. And I think about the chain of events that led to all of that happening and how the trouble, the adversity that we faced in the first scenario that led to our capacity to be able to take on the second scenario. And there were a lot of other things that kind of cascaded as a result of that pinch point, like that troubled moment in our lives led to a whole different, you know, variety of future outcomes that wouldn't have happened. And it's kind of hard to know, you know, when you play if-then games with the past, you know, well, if, what if this little factor had been different, what would have, who knows, it doesn't, almost doesn't matter. But when we look back, it does make us say, okay, there's no point in the story of baby where I would re-sign up for that hurt. Um, but that hurt did, God made that hurt valuable in our lives, and something else came of it that we would not have ever known to ask for. And, um, and by the way, we, we still don't know whatever happened to baby. The, the parent decided not to maintain contact with us, and so we're trusting God with that, and we'll see someday, hopefully, either in this life or the next, where, where his story ended or where, he, where God took him. Um, but I look back, and as painful as it all is, I still have to look back and say, okay, thank you, God, for those trials because those defined the present reality that we have. So it, it made me think through, um, walking through that made me think through trials and a little different vantage point. And anytime we encounter stress, maybe the stress you're thinking of right now is not, you know, not kind of maximum, like that, that's one of the higher level stresses you could probably have. Um, if you, you know, draw it down a couple levels and say it's just financial pressure, or it's just I disagree, or I, I've got a problem with my spouse, or any stress you face, there are different reactions to it. And I, I wanted to walk you through those and then show you in the book of 2 Corinthians how I think we can respond to stress. Right? Here, here are some of our options. You might even remember in science class, even animals do some of these things. If they're backed into a corner, what do they do? They fight or flight, right? Or some of them freeze and play dead. Uh, so we have those same kind of options. We can well, the flight would be, I'm going to get out of this. Like, you face trouble and you just, your singular purpose in your mind is to get out of the trouble. Doesn't matter what it takes, doesn't matter if you have to lie, doesn't matter if you have to, like, sell everything. I'm just getting away from the problem so that I don't have to deal with it. Some people fight. Say, they face a challenge and there's, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to do whatever it takes uh, to make this thing right. Some people fantasize. They just make up a new story in their heads so that it's not quite as bad. So they say, oh, this isn't really that bad. Other people have it worse. 
Uh, some people do freeze, and they just say, I, I'm just going to stop. I'm done. I, I don't know what will happen. I just hope something changes it. But they stop all forward momentum when they face stress or trouble or some sort of challenge. I want to suggest a fifth option here. As a Christian, what you can do when you face stress, when you, when you know that trouble is coming your way. Okay, so the, the, the boss calls and you realize you're losing your job. Or, the, or the, 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 a bill comes you didn't expect and you start shaking your head and you go, oh no, we didn't plan for this. Um, you get a terrible news from the hospital or you know, something happens. This is the other choice you have. It's the choice of faith to say, God, I know you love me. How do you want me to react? Now, the door is still open. I mean, some of these other reactions are actually the right thing to do in some, some circumstances, right? Sometimes a challenge comes and you should run away. Sometimes challenge comes and you should fight. And so it's not saying that those might not be the right response, but here's what faith does. It, it changes our viewpoint on the trouble so that we're not facing it alone anymore. And we're also not facing it in the vacuum of like, I'm in a win or lose situation. If I can't fix the trouble, I lose. That's not necessarily true. If you can't fix the trouble or you can't get away from it, it can, God can still add value to your life through that trouble. And so it's not a win or lose. Um, sometimes God's win for you might look a little different than you expect. Maybe his longer-term plan for you involves things that right now you would never guess. And so faith allows you to have that and say, Lord, based on your love for me, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to walk forward now with that in my heart first. Now let's pick a reaction that makes sense based on that. Now, there's one caveat I want to throw in before we read from 2 Corinthians. And that is that sometimes the trouble we face involves other people. And it gets really complicated to explain how or why that happens. So I would not look at baby and say that he went through all that he went through in order to help me somehow. I don't think God does that. I, I don't believe that about God, that he would punish one person to teach somebody else a lesson. And so I would never look at the suffering of another and go, wow, I'm thankful for that because it taught me a lesson. No, no, that's not, the, that's not the path. But as that suffering touches your life, you start saying, okay, this, this is wrong that this is happening, this injustice or this evil, but God can take what's wrong and still make it valuable. So here, here's a way to... To look at it. Some troubles we encounter also hurt others. We know that God would not hurt others in order to teach us a personal lesson. So in these situations, we have to trust God's love even more. And so you look up to heaven and you say, Lord, this is where, like, here's a hurt person. Somehow it intersects with my life. Um, I don't think that person is hurt for my benefit. Um, but Lord, that person is hurt and this is causing stress and trouble. And so Lord, I want to find out what value can you make from this tragedy or this difficult circumstance. And God will do that. Remember, God did that with Daniel. God did that with Joseph in the Bible who had so many things going wrong. And then at the very end of the story, God made it all turn into something that had purpose. But, you know, at no point in the story would he have known that until the very end. And so this is where you have to look up to God and you have to trust him. So the Apostle Paul teaches us this principle so well in 2 Corinthians. I'd like you to turn there and read this with me. Um, just to find hope in whatever it is you're facing. 
My guess is if we said, hey, let's all raise our hands right now, who's facing some trouble? Most people would say, well, in one category or another, to one intensity or another, we're, you know, yeah, I've got trouble in my life. Not everything is perfect. Um, so as you face that, what will you do? Well, here's what we learn from the Apostle Paul. Chapter 4, verse 8. We are pressured on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. And in some way, when a Christian goes through suffering, when a Christian has trouble, we identify with Jesus in that trouble. You think about what the gospel is, right? Jesus suffered and died and then was raised again. He went through tragic things, injustice, in order for us to find forgiveness, and then, he, and then resurrected life came out of that. We'll celebrate that at Easter in a few weeks. Somehow, the narrative of trouble resulting in life is a part of the gospel. It's also a part of our story. So we look at the trouble we're going through, and we say, Lord, I know that you can bring life out of death, and I know that you can bring beauty out of ashes. And so, Lord, I trust you, even in the mess that is my current life. Uh, that there's a bigger purpose involved. To verse 11, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. Remember, in this era, they were being persecuted. So the life of Jesus will be evidenced by our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All this is for your benefit and God's grace reaches more and more people and there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. So the more you lift your eyes above the things that are actually in your sphere of trouble and see the bigger picture, uh, the more you find hope, the more you may even find joy in the midst of what you're facing. And then here's the key. It's in verses 16 and 17. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed day by day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Look at verse 17 again. I mean, it's such a good truth here. Our present troubles are small. And they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on that which cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. The things we cannot see will last forever. So rather than having our eyes fixed on the problem that's in front of us, the problem we recognize is still a problem, and there's, there's tough things to deal with in life. We say, Lord, in the midst of this problem, I want to learn endurance so that my life can shine for you in the midst of the trials I'm facing. And Lord, I want to not give my focus to this earthly issue, but recognize I'm a part of something a lot bigger than just this problem. Troubles can be a reason for joy when connected to a purpose. 
You might think of it this way. Paying for something isn't negative if I'm excited about what I'm receiving in exchange. So if somebody sends you a bill, you might say, man, I don't want to pay this bill. But if you realize the, you, know, you pay it and now you get the thing you wanted, well, you say, well, yeah, I'm glad to pay that. It, the, the troubles that we're facing are a part of how God is preparing us for glory. And so we say, Lord, even though I don't understand that, I don't understand how it all works, I'm trusting you. And God will give you the grace to make it through, to learn endurance, to grow capacity. Uh, you can run harder for Christ, and you can make a greater difference with the lifetime that you have as a result. So the path to peace, choice number six, as troubles are coming at us from the outside, even if our own soul is at peace, this is still going to happen from, uh, from others, we have to say this, I'll choose to believe that even my troubles can be made valuable by God. And we say, Lord, thank you for doing that. Thank you for caring enough about me, uh, caring enough about the things I'm walking through, that that statement would be true. So let's pray. Let's, let's commit this to the Lord. Let's ask him for his wisdom, his perspective. Jesus, thank you so much for walking through suffering for us, not only to forgive our sins, not only to win us eternal life, not only to give us transformation, but here also as an example for us to follow as we encounter suffering, as we encounter trouble. Lord, you told us that trouble would happen. You told us that there would be moments of difficulty in our lives. When those moments come, I pray that you would fill our hearts with faith. Lord, let us see your great love for us. Let us recognize the value that you bring into the equation, value that transcends the problem itself or the people involved or even the whole world that we live in. Lord, you can take really difficult circumstances and redeem them, make them valuable, reclaim them for what's right. Lord, I know that many in this room, probably all of us, have suffered in various ways, some of us very deeply. We've walked through things that could have ruined us had it not been for your grace in our lives, for your, your love for us. I pray that you would bring peace to our hearts as we continue to trust in you. Help us to not give up, but instead to look up. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. We look forward to running our race with you, even the days that that race is difficult, even when there are obstacles we have to overcome, challenges we didn't sign up for, problems, either with ourselves or with other people. I pray for my brothers and sisters in the room right now who are struggling today. Lord, would you fill their hearts with peace as they learn endurance and perspective through the trouble, I pray that you would fill them with a sense of your love, even joy in facing what on earth is difficult, but what is winning for them in eternal glory that the scripture says will far outweigh all of the troubles we're facing. So we commit this to you. We pray that you would be with us as we travel into this week going on many different roads, through many different circumstances. In all of it, Lord, we want to return here a week from now stronger, more faith-filled, 
more convinced of your love and more ready for whatever comes next. In Jesus' name we pray. May the peace of Christ go with you. We'll see you next week.